Amen. Philemon is where we're at. We ended in verse seven last week. And it's Paul's introductory words to his buddy Philemon about a thousand miles away in Colossae. And he's writing him this letter. While Paul was in jail, he wrote four letters that we know of. He wrote the book of Ephesians and he wrote the book of Philippians and he wrote the book of Colossians. And then he wrote this small book, Philemon, to one individual. And he gave all of these books, listen, to a guy named Tychicus and another guy, listen, this is crazy, this is crazy, named Onesimus. And these were his delivery guys. He said, now go take these letters. One of the letters, though, is just a small 25-verse letter. And yet I don't know if Paul knew we'd be studying it and underlining it and looking at the Greek context. But God takes everything that we offer to him for his glory and for others' good. Listen, 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 listen. Are you listening? And he multiplies it beyond what we could ever imagine. You believe this? I need to believe this. Sometimes I don't believe this. I'm like, ah, oh, it's just, you know, I'm gonna go pray for that person. I'm not sure if it's gonna work. Or I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go do this thing. I'm not sure if it's gonna work. What gospel did you read? God takes our five loaves and two fish and maximizes it for his glory and for others' good. We're so limited anyways. We can't give God anything. And yet he gives to us the things he does give to us and says, hey, give it back now in my name. And when this happened, as a matter of fact, when they gave Jesus the five loaves and two fish, he took it from them. Remember that? That was crazy. Thank God for it and gave it right back to him. I was like, that was weird. And the Lord does the same. Well, here, Paul writes this small letter, and yet it explores, and I believe it illustrates the gospel of Jesus Christ in real time. That's why we've titled this message out of Philemon, the gospel in action. Because the gospel is the greatest thing that ever happened, isn't it? It's called the good news. And the world needs now more than ever before good news, okay? The, the world doesn't need good advice, okay? You need good advice, Oprah.com, DrPhil.com, you know. There's good advice out there, okay? By the way, those are not places to go for good advice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But people give advice. Here's some advice. Just do this. Don't do that. And don't ever do this again. You're like, oh, I'm kind of, I need, I need something better than advice. Well, let me give you the good news. See, news is a declaration of that which has already happened. And because you know what has already happened, then you can walk in the power of the good news and the good news changes everything. Listen, the good news changes everything. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter one, verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. What is? The gospel. The good news that what Jesus has done, dying in our place, rising over sin and death, living in heaven, coming to get us one day, man, that just translates over everything you're dealing with right now. And so Paul writes to his buddy Philemon, he says, hey Philemon, remember the gospel? Changes everything. Remember what God has done for you? And I believe that this gospel is what we all need to hear, but it's evidenced in our lives, listen, in relationships. The gospel of Jesus Christ is best evidence to the world out there, the good news. Of Jesus. You could say Jesus is real, wear your shirts, you could point to the cross, you could do all kinds of things, but what the world is looking at is your life in action. And when they see that your life has actually been changed and transformed and empowered, they say, whoa, Jesus is real. Let me say it again. The gospel is best evidenced, witnessed in relationships horizontally. I wish this wasn't the case. I wish this wasn't the case. I wish we could just go out there and say, Jesus is real. <laughs> and that would be like blow people's minds. 
But instead, everyone's so fixated on horizontal relationships that they say, prove it. Let's see it. Show it to me. We're like, oh, let me show you. I got a couple of verses here. Look at this verse. And we show people verses, and there's power in the word of God, and it changes people's lives. But until they see the living epistle of your life lived radically, changed and different. As a matter of fact, lots of people in the world are moral. You ever just think Christianity is all about morality? So we've got to be, really, be the best people in the world. Do you know there's better people than you? Someone say amen. I mean, this is not even hard. There are people that are so much better than you. You're a Christian. They're not even Christians. It's not about morality. There's people that are more disciplined than you. As a Christian, we should be disciplined. We should be moral. We should be disciplined. There's people that are more moral than you and more disciplined than you. There's actually people that are more religious than you. They hit all those markers, and yet they don't know Jesus because that isn't what Jesus has asked us to go out, teach morals, teach disciplines, and teach religion. Instead, Jesus was asked point blank, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Remember that? And what did Jesus say? You can boil it down. Love God. And he didn't stop there. Jesus is, Jesus is next level. Hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he gives two. I love Jesus. <laughs> to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Oh, that's it. That's it. He's like, and? He's like, well, no, we got it. We, we got it, you know. We got it. He's like, no, and? To love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus went on to give a little mini, mini teaching. He said, oh, by the way, on these two commands, hang, hinge, swing, door open, door closed, all of the law and the prophets. Now to the Jews, the law and the prophets, it's pretty much all that matters. That's it. The Jews loved the law. They loved the prophets. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, all that stuff. It hinges on if you love God and if you love people. Now, again, I'm, I'm hoping to make this super lower shelf for all of us to reach because we're all going to leave here today and live our lives, and we're all going to open up our Bibles later, and we're all going to examine ourselves and say, am I doing it right? Lord, am I disciplined enough? Am I moral enough? Am I religious enough? And, and there's a place for those questions to be asked, but the real question that the Lord would say, oh, well, the greatest commandment is are you loving God and are you really loving people? Are you truly loving them? And you might say, well, have you seen people, Lord? I'd rather be religious. I'd rather be disciplined. I'd rather just be moral. The people around me, cuckoo. Let me say it again. The gospel of Jesus is best witnessed and evidenced and seen in our relationships with others. But we've all been in hard relationships, haven't we? If you've been alive for longer than 90 minutes, you realize that loving people around you is not easy. It's difficult. It'd be easier just to not love people, not be involved in people's relationships. Relationships are hard. I did a wedding yesterday. Rogan and Mercedes got married in Jefferson and had the privilege of standing with them. And, and I reminded them that, you know, marriage isn't easy. It's difficult. But as a matter of fact, in every marriage, there are three rings. There's the engagement ring. There's the wedding ring. And then there's suffering. That's so funny. You should never say that joke at a wedding. I did, though. It was hilarious. <laughs> but I wouldn't say it at a, you know, you shouldn't, but I just shared it. Anyways. <laughs> My wife's not here right now. Love you, babe. Married 21 years. And I'll tell you what, okay, relationships take work. They take work. And this is where the Lord is most glorified. He's, Jesus said it himself. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And wouldn't you just, just run after whatever Jesus said? 
He said, this is the greatest commandment. Love God and fast every other day. That's all I'm looking for. Oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can not eat. That's easy. That's a discipline. That's religion. He says, no, I want you to love people. <laughs> what? What? You mean my people? He said, no, people, people. Not people, 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 people. All people. It's not easy. And so here's my point in reading this epistle. Paul loves Philemon. And he's writing this letter as an encouragement, not saying, hey, Philemon, I want you to tighten it up at home and be more holy, go to church more, read your Bible, join a forest more group. Not all those things. We've read this epistle a couple times. Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive Onesimus. This is crazy. It's just such a pointed letter. Like sometimes you read the Bible, like, I don't really know if God is talking to me right now, you know. Might have been for someone else. This Philemon read this, he's like, wow, he called me out. As a matter of fact, he ends the letter. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, Epaphras and, and Luke and Mark and Aristarchus and Demas. Yeah, we're all kind of signing off on this. Like, we'll see you in a little bit. He says, I'll be there. I want you to forgive. I want you to forget, and I want you to bless. Now, let me just give you three reasons why this is important, and then we're going to jump into verse 6 where we left off last week. Loving others is important. If you're a note taker, write this down for a myriad of reasons. I'll give you three quick ones. The most important reason it is uh, important to love others because God said to. God said it, that settles it. I believe it, that settles it. That might be enough for somebody here today to say, oh, let's do it. Because you're probably looking for a logical reason to love your enemy right now. Well, I will, just as soon as they do this. Just as soon as they do this. Are you kidding me? You're not gonna be a very loving person if you're gonna wait for that person to become lovable to love them. When Peter walked on water, he didn't walk on water when the water froze. I'll walk on water as soon as it freezes, it'll be a lot easier. The Lord told him to walk on water. He's like, all right, if you tell me, I'll do it then. It's impossible. We can't do this, by the way. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. When the waters parted for Moses, it wasn't until he put the staff in the water or until the priests put their feet in the Jordan River. It didn't part until they took that first step. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. This will change your life. It's up to you. Why do you think God said this is the greatest commandment? Because everything else hinges on it. Okay, number one, reason why it's important to love people and to forgive them and to dwell with them in this way is because God said it. Number two, because they need it. You ever consider how broken this world is? How hungry, how thirsty? I don't think there's any one of us in here that had a bag of groceries or so much food or so much provision that if we saw somebody right in our immediate peer view, right, right there with a great need and we had, I don't think there's anybody here that would say, oh, here, we wouldn't do that. We would all share. We would all give them what they so desperately need. Would we not? Would we not share? The people around you that have offended you or that are living next to you, they need, and you know this because you're needy of it as well. They need this love that God wants to give to them so desperately, listen, through you. They need it. How many of you guys have a green lawn here in Lincoln County? You guys water your lawn? Where's my lawn people at? Any lawn people? I used to be a lawn guy. Just let it go. Just let it go. It's too much work. Too much work. I haven't watered my lawn in like six years. I just joined the Lincoln County gang. But anyways, my point is, is your lawn will be as green as you want it. It will. Your lawn will have as many weeds gone as you want. It, your lawn will be as perfect and fabulous as you want. So too, the relationships in your life, 
they will be as fruitful as you want. Because God's asked you to love. He's asked you to give. There's things that you can do. But you're like, ah, I don't really want to do that. I'm not going to water my lawn. I'm not going to love that person. I'm not going to send that text. I'm not going to forgive. For, for, for broken reasons. I'm not judging anybody, by the way, this morning. This is just the way we work. I understand. And yet Paul writes this letter to Philemon. I wonder if when Philemon got this, he's like, oh, I got a letter from Paul. Let's read it out loud. Dun, 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 dun. He's like, oh, man. Come on. The third reason, not only because God said it, they need it, but because others see it. We've already gone over this. The gospel is best evidenced in your life while you and through loving other people. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you. And I bet they were fired up. They're like, oh, sick, a new commandment. Hidden revelation. These were Jews. These were disciples. Like, let's go. Jesus, what's this new commandment? As I have loved you, now you go love others. Boom. They're like, what? Is that a new commandment? That's old. He's like, I know, but you're not doing it. And they went on to say in John 13, 35, by your love one for another, they'll know you're my disciples. Others see it. Others see the love. What we do or don't do matters to the Lord and to others. Wouldn't this be awesome if you just gave your life over to the Lord, not for salvation, you're already saved if you're a Christian, but said, Lord, use my life for your glory. Forgive me of the bitterness and the unforgiveness the lack of love, the judgment, all the things that I have, Lord, use me so other people can see it. As a matter of fact, look at verse six with me. We read these verses already. But Paul's prayer for Philemon is that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Now you're gonna just have to read right into the middle of this letter. Paul says, I'm praying for you, dude. You're doing good. You and your wife, Aphia and Archippus and your house church, it's so rad. I'm praying for you. And my specific prayer in verse six, and we talked about this last week, but I wanna get a little bit more out of it before we move on. My specific prayer is that the evidencing of your faith would be multiplied in the sharing or the fellowshipping of your life on display in Colossae. Let me say it differently. Paul would say, I want you to continue to witness to the people around you. And it's gonna happen specifically through forgiveness. But did you know that God wants your life to shine before men and women that they might see his glory in your life? Did you know that? Okay, we call this evangelism. There's lots of ways to evangelize in our day, lots of ways to let our light shine, lots of ways to multiply. Did you know that this is the great commandment at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's the great commission. Jesus said, now go out and share the gospel with everyone. Go do it. Go teach people. This is what you're to do. Then if you fast forward to Acts chapter one, Jesus reiterates the same thing. He's like, by the way, you're gonna be my witnesses now. You're gonna have power. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, Luke, is your church evangelizing your community? Is your church multiplying believers in Lincoln County? I did not have a great answer. I just didn't. I was like, dude, that's a great question. Do my people, do the people that I'm teaching and feeding, do we know that when we leave here, the mission field is outside? Do we know that? Do we know that there's, because again, it's so easy to get together, us four, no more, bar the door, the holy huddle, Bible bubble, and we did our Bible study, and we learned some things, memorized some verses, sang some songs, took some communion and celebrated, and we, whoo, I feel better, you feel better, I feel better, and we go out into the big, bad, ugly world. And yet what Paul says to Philemon, hey, I heard about you. Your life counts People are getting saved. Evangelism is part of our call to multiply the people in our lives. And it's not just gonna happen, it's, listen, it's not just gonna happen by you simply living your life on display. Hey, look at me. Check it out. 
in the sick. Sick. Love you, you know? And people are just going to connect the dots. He's such a nice person. He must be a Christian. She's so wonderful. She must be a Christian. I should get saved. She made me a sandwich one time. Got saved. It was crazy. But instead, there has to be a, a sharing of your faith, a multiplication, a witnessing. If you don't evangelize, by the way, you're going to fossilize. If you're not getting it out, if you're not getting the salt out of the shaker, if you're not letting the light so shine, if you're not using your spiritual muscles, you're going to lose them. It's just a principle. Again, this is not easy because we live in a world that is not always nice. The Bible actually says that some people who are against Christ are enemies of the cross. They'll be persecuting you. Have you ever found yourself just not loving the world because the world doesn't love you back? Does that happen to anybody else? A friend of mine, Adam Pearson, called me on uh, Thursday and he called, he's super excited about what God's doing down in Medford. And, and he told me the story. He said that he was, he kind of lives in a rough neighborhood. And, and so he was outside and these kind of punk kids were walking by his stuff and he has a nice, you know, work trailer and they were throwing rocks at his trailer. And so he's like, what the heck, these punk kids, you know, I'm, don't punk a punk, you know? And so he, he went after him a little bit. And the next day they came by and they, they, they punched his, his truck. And so Adam Pearson, he's telling me the story. He's like, oh man, this is going to be good. And so Adam chased him down the street yelling at him and was able to catch these two punks, these two skate punks. And he brought him and he was looking right down him and said, hey, do you guys like lattes? <laughs> and these two kids are like, uh, what? What? Do you like lattes? Uh, yeah. And he, and he made the kids sit down and said, all right, sit down. I'm going to go make you some lattes. And he went inside, true story, and he made these kids lattes. And he brought them back out and he gave them lattes and he sat down and he befriended them. And he, had a, he built a friendship with them, and he, and he realized these kids are just like him. See, Adam Pearson grew up without a dad, and his mom wasn't there for him as well, and he, he grew up as a, as a punk himself until some guy came in and taught him how to skate and, and taught him about Jesus and loved on him in that way. And Adam saw himself as that person. It was so radical. And Adam was just loving on these guys that were afflicting his vehicles. And I'll tell you what, God wants us to be about his business. Let me just give you a little tip. This week, pray. Pray that God would give you eyes to see people the way he does. So easy to judge people. So easy to get offended. So offended. Did you know that every single person, brother and sister in the entire world, you have the, the maximum capacity to be their best friend, even your enemies, because they're made in God's image. You're, you're made to be in fellowship with people. And yet sin and brokenness has ripped us apart and divided us. But if you would soften your heart and avail yourself, God will show you how to let your light shine and how to be a witness to the people and how to build relationships with him. I remember Adam Pearson, same guy, about 22, 23 years ago, he and I were down at the plaza and we were witnessing to people. And I kid you not, we prayed, we said, Lord, who do you want us to witness to? Who do you want us to evangelize? Would you, Lord Jesus, tonight at the plaza, bring somebody to us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we opened up our eyes and right to our left was this guy with long dreadlocks smoking a cigarette just staring at us <sighs> and I was like whoa bro what's up and he's like I don't know what are you guys doing tonight and we began a relationship with this guy and it was perfect and I just want to tell you guys not all of us are naturally gifted and called to be evangelists in, in that way but we're all called to be evangelists in some way and so if you would just pray Lord who do you want me to witness to maybe it's at the docks maybe it's at the fueling station maybe it's at the coffee house wherever you go don't just hope that they get saved because you're a nice person. Do what you do for the glory of God. Look at verse six again. I want you to see, I'm not just making this up. He says that the sharing of your faith may become more effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's prayer. 
And he says, Philemon, you're doing good. He says in verse seven, we heard about you because everywhere you go, you bring joy. Look at verse eight. He says, therefore, now we get to the ask. Therefore, though I may be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet, verse nine, for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, be in such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul's such a master writer. He builds up Philemon and his family. Guys, I see what you're doing. I'm praying for you. It's incredible. He says, because you're doing all this, therefore, here's my big ask. And in verse eight, he says it differently. He says, I could have actually just told you what to do. I could have commanded you. You know, he's the apostle Paul. He didn't address himself. Four of Paul's 13 letters, he does not address himself as the apostle Paul, but instead he says the prisoner of Jesus Christ, Paul. Because he's not using his apostolic card. Sometimes he has to pull out his apostolic card and tell churches what to do and correct them and lead them. Other times, like in this one, he says, you know what? I'm just gonna tell you what the right thing to do is and I'm gonna trust the Lord. I'm not gonna command you. I'm actually, let's, let's do it differently. I'm going to appeal to you. Look at verse nine. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is a banner moment in the life of any leader or any believer. Listen, when you don't need laws or commandments, to keep you in line and tell you what to do or what not to do. But instead, for love's sake, you do the right thing. Not because you're gonna be held accountable or because you're gonna be caught or because you're gonna be rewarded, but because of love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, love compels us. For love's sake. I love Paul, he's such a gangster here. He says, I could have just told you what to do, but I don't wanna do that. Because it's gonna have greater impact in your life, Philemon, when I ask you to forgive Onesimus instead of saying, well, Paul said I had to forgive you, so I forgive you, now get away from me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You ever have kids before and you're like, go tell your brother you're sorry. Like, sorry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know if that counts. I'm not sure if that was compelled by love. And so Paul, knowing the spirit of the Lord is working in Philemon, says, hey, you know what? I'm not gonna command you. I could, but I'm just gonna appeal to you for love's sake. Because your knower knows. Aren't you so glad you have a knower? Your knower knows the, the law of God. It knows the will of God. Occasionally, unfortunately, we have to be held accountable and the word just slays us and cuts us and we have to be told what to do. But it is a banner moment in the life of a believer, especially a leader or mom or dad or one who is being obedient that says, you know what? I know what to do. And I'm not just going to do it begrudgingly. I'm going to do it because of love. Yesterday when I was performing this wedding, I reminded Rogan and Mercedes of the biblical word for love. It's the word agape. And it's a love that has no conditions. It's unconditional. There's all kinds of love that has conditions. If you love me, I'll love you back. If you mean to me, I'm probably going to reciprocate that too. And the love that God calls us as believers, those who have his spirit in us, he says, I want you to love people especially those in your family, your spouse and your kids, and, but everybody unconditionally. Why? How could we do that? Because love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13, eight. Did you know that love, grace, and mercy actually create within themselves their own power and movement? That when you love unconditionally as unto the Lord, something, I was gonna say magical, something miraculous happens something powerful. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't keep a record of wrong. Love celebrates good and not evil. Love believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. Love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13, 8. And you wonder in your life why their lawn isn't green. 
why there's death, why it's not growing, why there's not fruit. What's going on? This is so stupid. Lord, aren't you going to do anything in my life? He says, <laughs> I've already done it. You need to love your spouse. Well, waiting for them to become a little bit more lovable. <laughs> really? Really? Love. 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 Just give it. I dare you to. It's a command. But he also appeals. He appeals and says, you do the right thing. What would love do in this situation? Love would reconcile, it would forgive, it would serve, it would pray. Look at verse nine, he says, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I love how he just kind of says, hey, you know what? I'm not gonna pull the apostle card, I'm gonna pull the old guy card. I'm old. And I'm not sure exactly what Paul's saying, like, don't mess with me, maybe I'm old, just do what I say. Maybe he's saying I'm old, I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. It's easy to stay in a situation of forgive, uh, bitterness and distance when you're younger or bullheaded, prideful. And as you get older, as you get down the road, you're kind of like, you know what? I don't think that's the way. I'm Paul the aged. And he's also in jail. You say, yeah, I'm in jail, dude. Like, I can't go love Onesimus for you. I need you to do this. Guys, look at verse 10. There's something interesting I want to point out. It says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Now, we haven't heard that name mentioned, Onesimus, until verse 10. When Philemon first got this letter, it's just building him up. Man, Philemon, dude, this is from me to you. I love you. I see you. I'm praying for you. I got something to tell you. I'm not going to command you. I just want you to search your heart because I'm going to send to you my son. And then he says the name Onesimus. I don't know what this name elicited in Philemon's gut. But have you ever been in a situation or relationship where even the mention of someone's name just causes your ulcer to bleed? You're like, what? What name? <laughs> what? You talk to a friend like, yeah, I was over at so-and-so's house and we were hanging out. You're like, whose house? How? <laughs> you know, has this ever happened? Well, maybe, maybe it's just you. I've got a few names where I hear these names and something inside of me is like, <laughs> Onesimus had robbed Philemon and then deserted him and ran. This had made his wife Aphia and his whole household suffer. Servants in this way were very costly. This was betrayal. We don't know all the ins and outs of what happened, but this must, and let me just share something with you. In my Bible, New King James Version, and in most of your translations as well, it says something along the lines of, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. And Onesimus is right in the middle of this sentence, but in the original structure, Onesimus is the very last word mentioned in this appeal. Let me read it to you and how it's actually structured in the Greek. It says, I beseech thee for my son, whom I have begotten in bonds, my Onesimus. And it's almost like Paul in his masterful structuring says, hey, I'm in jail. I, a guy got saved. Oh, by the way, it's Onesimus. The very last, maybe, maybe he was saying that just to soften the punch. I'm not sure. But as he reaches out to Philemon, he does so stating this name that he's now a believer. Has this ever happened to you? You ever heard somebody being talked about maybe from your past or somebody in your life and you find out that they're a believer and your mouth hits the floor? You're like, What? They're saved? 
How did they get saved? There's no way. I, I've been doing this long enough and living in this town before I knew Jesus and then living away coming. And I've seen people get saved. I'm like, no way. And I celebrate every single time I see somebody who I had no idea would ever become a believer and is now a believer. And Paul now writes to Philemon and says, hey, remember Onesimus, the guy that robbed you and deserted you? Yeah, he's a believer now. And I'm sure Philemon's like, no way, you know. Woo. Let me just say this. Don't ever discount the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter four, there's this guy that gets saved. He'd been bedridden for 40 years and the Jews around saw the miracle and they couldn't help but see that there was a miracle because the man had been bedridden this way for 40 years and all of a sudden out of nowhere, he got healed. There are so many people in your life right now that are not walking with the Lord. They're enemies of the cross. Yet they're made in God's image. One day and in God's timing and because of God's grace and mercy, he can save them in an instance. Don't ever give up. I wonder if Philemon and Aphia and Archie, or his son had given up on Onesimus. Maybe they even sent a search warrant out for him. Not a search warrant, an arrest warrant. Those are different, different, different warrants. And maybe he'd been arrested because of the complaint that he'd put there. A couple things I want to point out here as well. Look at verse 10. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Number one, he calls him a son. This wasn't his biological son, we all know this, but this was a son of the fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you get saved, you become part of the bigger family of God. And the people around you are your brothers and sisters. This is so phenomenal. This is so special, this enduring love that we have with one another. There's nothing like it in the rest of the world. Nothing like it unifies and connects the human race more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Additionally, notice where this happened. Look at verse 10 again. He says this happened, the last sentence, while in my chains. How many of you guys would expect Paul, while incarcerated, to hang up his apostle hat for a while until he got released? Oh man, it's all messed up. I'm incarcerated, I'm in chains. I was over here on tour preaching and teaching. Now I'm locked up in jail. I can't now preach and teach the way I once, once wanted to and once used to. And did you know that it's actually your chains? limitations, shortcomings, difficulties that set up your life to be used in a more profound and directed way than when you have your freedoms. That's a hard pill to swallow. It's your chains, the things that you're going through right now. I wish I wasn't going through this. I wish this wasn't my case. And God's gonna use those chains to connect you to people that would not connect you to those people without those chains. It's just a matter of perspective. Let me say it differently. Sometimes we believe, I know this is true for me, that God can't save people in my life until I'm walking in all these freedoms, have all these resources, have my life completely put together, and everything has to be perfect. Everything has to match up, and all of a sudden, then the Lord can use me more powerfully. Did you know that it's not really, listen, about you? This is crazy. Sorry, American, it's not about you. Your limitations, your change, your setbacks, Okay? have no impact on the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what he wants you to do? Preach the gospel. This will change everything, by the way. I preach the gospel usually when I'm feeling fired up, highly caffeinated, well-rested, super clear vision, and I'll preach the gospel while I'm going around. But sometimes when I'm defeated, when I'm chained, defeat, things aren't going well, eh, I don't really want to be loving to this cashier. I don't want to be a servant to this person. And if I don't feel like I'm at my full and have all of the abundance of the fruit of the Spirit in me, well, I guess this person doesn't, God doesn't want to save this person today. <clears throat> While in my chains, the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be chained. 
And I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe it's just myself because I'm about to go on a journey right now and I need to be able to find the faith that I have in Jesus Christ to preach the gospel and trust that it's going to produce life. I've got a lot of preaching ahead of me in the next couple of days. I'm actually kind of tired, <laughs> believe it or not. I've been going hard all summer long. And the Lord says, you okay? You okay? You feel chained? You feel down? You feel unable? It doesn't matter. The gospel is not chained. Sometimes it's even your limits that will cause a greater response to the people around you. Look at verse 11. He says, who once, now he's talking about Onesimus, was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. He's been changed by the gospel. This is what the gospel does. The old has passed away and become new. Verse 12, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. That's my deepest conviction. Guys, verse 12, two things are happening, this idea of reconciliation. Number one, the letter is to Philemon, and he's saying, Philemon, I need you to forgive. But listen, number two, he's sending Onesimus back. Did you know Onesimus had a part to play in this too? Onesimus could look at Paul and say, you know what? I'm, I'm not really into that. I'm sending him back to you. See, forgiving somebody is as important as, listen, as asking to be forgiven, as repenting of your sin, owning your stuff, and saying, I blew it. I hurt you. I did something I shouldn't have done. I need you to forgive me. You are forgiven if you're in Christ, amen? But sometimes, oftentimes, the Lord, in order to seal the deal completely, will send us back. So fun to just say, I'm sorry, in your heart and mind. Lord, forgive me for hurting that person, and may you heal them and help them not to kill me, amen. And the Lord's so thorough. Is the Lord not thorough? I remember many years ago, a couple of decades ago, I was single running this coffee house and, and I made some, some business practice errors in the way that I was staffing my, my coffee house and some people left a certain coffee house and joined my coffee house and I thought it was great, I was celebrating. I didn't realize that I had unintentionally hurt this other owner of this coffee house, another Christian from another church until someone told me one day, hey, Deborah really hates you. And I was like, whatever, dude, just because our coffee's better. I was like, what she hate me for? And they told me, like, well, some of your, her employees went to work for you, and she, you know, holds you accountable for that. And I was like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's crazy. And I remember a couple days later, I was at Safeway. And I walked down Safeway, and there's Deborah. Whoa. And so I went to a different aisle. It's like, not doing it, you know. And I literally went to three different aisles, and Deborah just kept coming to each and every aisle. And the Lord says, you're not getting groceries today, bro. You're going to reconcile with this woman. And I remember I was like, okay. Okay, and I walked up and looked her in the eye and I said, hey, Deborah, I want to apologize to you for the things that I did. I didn't mean to. Now that I see it differently, and I, I really made some mistakes and I apologize for doing that. I remember we both started crying in the produce section. It was so cool, so healing. And she said, I, and she was an older woman, you know, and could have been old enough to be my mom and she knew I was just a young idiot and so she forgave me. Onesimus is going back. Can you imagine this? When he goes back, Philemon has the rights as a Roman citizen to execute him, to punish him, to torture him, to burn on his forehead an F that would stand for fugitive. And yet the gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free and liberates us. Amen. This is the, we want people to know Jesus is real. We want people to know that the gospel is true, that the Bible is, is God's word. And he says, I know all that. And it's gonna be evidence in the way you love God and love people, period. It's the two greatest commands. I'm sending you out, Onesimus, now to go do these things. Guys, we're gonna begin in verse 14 next week. I'll be back. But I want you to read on and look at verse 15. I'm just gonna read it with you. I want you to meditate on this. Let it set you free. 
Verse 14, he says, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. I want you to do this from your heart, Philemon. Verse 15, let's meditate on this all week long. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Stop right there, eyes up here. He says, Philemon, perhaps he departed from you for a season that you might receive him forever. Which is greater, a season or forever? Forever. We are in so many different seasons of our lives all the time. Seasons of difficulty, seasons of chains, seasons of setback and failure, seasons of hurt. Oh man, I can't believe they did that. Oh, they did that. And Paul with his sovereign lens, sovereignty of God says, hey, perhaps he left you, which hurt for this season so that way you could receive him as a brother forever. Perhaps you lost your job for a season because God had something better for you. Perhaps this person broke up with you. Perhaps this business deal went awry for, for a season because it's just a season. It doesn't define you. So that way God can work in you something that will last forever. We see this throughout the scriptures. Men and women tested in seasons. And yet God says, don't live in that season. Keep going. Keep going. I have something I'm working on that is forever. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you so much, and we thank you that we can trust you. And I pray, Lord, right now that you would equip South Beach Church as we go our way now, and all that are here and all that are watching online, in Jesus' name, Lord, that we would be, Lord, heavenly-minded, that we might become earthly good, that we would be evangelists, not just in the way that we say, well, let me tell you about the Bible, and let me tell you all the verses I have, and let me tell you about this, but let me show you love. And I just want to, I'll pray forgiveness. I, I have been so prideful in my ways and so unforgiving and so bullheaded, even in my righteousness where I don't believe that I've actually been a good witness of Jesus. There's been other times where I've been forgiving and loving and washed people's feet and it's just been so powerful and it's not even about doctrine in that moment, but it's about duty. And so Lord, I just ask that our church would become sweeter. And if you're here this morning before you leave, if you would just sur surrender to that simple invitation to be sweeter, would you just raise up your hand right now if you just want to be sweeter to the Lord, sweeter to this world, more loving, and that love would compel you. The commands are already there. Paul could pull the apostle card out and he could show us all the verses and say, you guys, you have to do this. But instead he says, I just want you guys to be more full of love. If that's what you want today, raise up your hand. While your hand is up, Lord, we would confess that we're weak. We would confess, Lord, that we're sinful that we are carnal, we're selfish. Lord, we're, we're, we're inward focused, not outward, naturally. And so in Jesus' name, with your hands up, Lord, we would pray you to anoint us with your spirit to be witnesses, to love God and to love people. We believe this is a supernatural gift you give. So we can't do it in our own strength, Lord. We can't do it in our own power. So help us to love our spouses, to love our own kids, to love the people around us. Holy Spirit, go before us and use us for your glory and others good. You can put your hand down. We thank you for all you've done and all you're gonna do. Lord, we pray blessings on the Acts students. I think there's about 25 of them or so I'm gonna meet tomorrow morning. I pray that all week long, Lord, it'd be such an anointed time, a celebration, Lord, gospel on display. I pray you'd fire those kids up, prepare them for their outreach. I pray you'd sustain me as I teach, Lord. Help me to say only what you want me to say. Help me to see and receive only what you want me to receive and bless my family and the rest of the church here and the school and all that's going on. We love you, Jesus. Bless the 11 a.m. service too. They're coming in right now. Seeing the cars are still here and they're upset. So just bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Amen. God bless you guys. Philemon, we're gonna finish next. Did I say we're finishing next week? Okay, okay. All right, all right.
God bless you guys. Don't forget to put on your calendar October 8th and all the other events happening. Grab a four is more card before you leave and start praying about who your two, three, or four are. They're up front here or on the way out the door. I love you guys. God bless you. You're dismissed.